Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. When I was 27 years old, newly minted in the ministry, my phone rang in the middle of the night. The caller was a beloved older member of the congregation, a vivacious activist and single mother of five adult children whom she had adopted out of the foster care system. One of her sons, Tim, was in jail on drug and alcohol charges. The situation, which involved many tragic twists and turns, was a source of heartache and deep anguish for his mother. For years, he had refused visits from his family. So the phone rang, and my parishioner said, Tim is outside. He says he's been let out and has nowhere to go. I'm afraid to open the door. What should I do? And I said, I'm coming. I appreciate that you might think that they taught this about about this in divinity school, and I hate to disillusion you, but I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I got into my fifth-hand green Volkswagen Rabbit, pulled out into the empty street, and began the short drive one town over to step into this crisis with no idea of what I would do when I arrived. And somewhere out along Route 28, I called in the reinforcements. I began to pray. I was not raised with much prayer except maybe a little something on Thanksgiving. And I was pretty sure that what I knew about other people's God or God's something above and beyond us was not useful to me. Nevertheless, I proceeded to hedge my bets. If you'd asked me then to what I was praying, the most accurate answer would have been to whom it may concern. (laughs) It was heartfelt and unadorned. I think it began, help! But I did go on invoking what Abraham Lincoln called the better angels of our nature, which as far as I knew was some deep reserve of wisdom and guidance inside me that I fervently hoped was there. I asked for help to help my friends. I have very little memory of the rest of that night. I know that we sat together, we three, in my parishioner's living room. And I know that years later, Tim was the best man at a family wedding. And as we prepared to enter the church, we held hands for a moment, streaming with gratitude, acknowledging the miracles that had brought us to that day. 
I am not proud to think of myself as a foxhole convert. But there it is. My love affair with the power of prayer began that night. I fell in love with prayer not only as a measure of last resort, but as a measure of first resort, a means to face something frightening and perilous. I fell in love with prayer not as something that necessarily changes anything out there, but absolutely changes someone in here. Prayer changes people, and people change things. I was seated on a panel presentation for ministerial students next to my friend and UCC colleague, Mary Ludy, when she said that when we tell people we'll pray for them, we should do it. Her emphasis was on being faithful to our word, but what I heard was the unapologetic directive to pray. I was captivated by the thought that it might do us as much good as them, if not more. So I'm making the case for prayer today, maybe not to a God and certainly not to a God in whom you do not believe, but prayer for the sake of concentrating and articulating our deepest longing to be instruments of transformation and healing, both for ourselves and for others. In 1973, Peter Matheson, writer, explorer, and Zen student, undertook a trek into the remote mountains of Nepal in the hope of glimpsing the rare and exquisite snow leopard. Before he left, he spoke to Zen master Edo Roshi, who told him to anticipate both a death and a rebirth on his journey. He instructed him to treat the trip as a pilgrimage and to recite a prayer as he walked. Peter Matheson chose Aum Mani Pe Me Hong. Aum is the sound of the vibration of life. Mani, the indestructible diamond essence of existence. Peme, meaning in the lotus, in the world of life and death as we know it. And Hong, well, nobody knows about Hong. It's kind of Tibetan for amen. <laughs> and Peter Matheson proceeded to recite one word per step in his slow trudge. Aum, Mani, Peme, Hong. With the Berry River far below and behind and a snowy peak of the Kanjuranbas rising ahead, Aum, Mani, Peme, Hong. Perhaps 20 years later, Cam and I set out on a backpacking trip in the Sierras. I cannot recall what terrible event had just unfurled on the world stage, but I remember that I was utterly bereft at the depravity of it all, and in particular, the news had specifically reported the number of children that had died. In the face of absolutely nothing else to do, inspired by Peter Matheson, I prayed as I walked the day's steep uphill pitch, one prayer 
her labored breath, counting to something over 100, one prayer, one breath for each of the children who had died, and then started again and again. It is not my theology that these prayers helped the children. But I found that to pray steadied my mind and pushed me forward away from the abyss of despair and into the path of compassion and healing. So speaking of theology, many of you have shared with me that strange sensation of recalling a prayer from your childhood and finding that while the theology was a travesty, the prayer was strangely comforting. So I felt this way about the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Basically, as an adult, I gave out at the Lord, he, and it was downhill from there. <laughs> so what if we tidied up the theology and leaned in for the comfort? My friend and colleague, Anita Farber-Robertson, noticed that halfway through, the psalm switches from he to you, from the third person to the first person. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures becomes I will fear no evil for thou art with me. The prayer changes when we begin you are my shepherd, I shall not want. You restoreth my soul. You are with me. And now when I recall this reclaimed prayer, heading into something hard or heartbreaking, it fills my spiritual reserve and gives me something to go on. Across the spectrum of Americans, from religious to not, from devout to irreverent, most of us say that we pray. We say that, but what do we mean? I missed this class in Divinity School, but Reverend Katie Scudera is always invoking, usually hilariously, Reverend Dr. Charles Adams' acronym for how to create a good prayer. So I think we're supposed to memorize this, and then when the moment comes, all we need to do is get it straight, and we're good to go. Are you ready? The acronym is ACTS, Acknowledge, Confess, Thank, Supplicate. So that would make this a great prayer. Hi, Acknowledge. I've been a total jerk stealing from my employees. Confess. Thanks for all the help hiding the money. Thank. Please make me richer so I can buy even more stuff and keep the IRA from sniffing around. Supplication. Amen. You can try it if you like. Acknowledge, confess, thanks, supplicate, but I think not. Let's try this, author and translator Stephen Mitchell, 
One reviewer wrote that he translates God into English. I loved that. Stephen Mitchell loves French philosopher Simone Weil's definition of prayer. She said, absolute unmixed attention is prayer. In that sense, says Stephen Mitchell, prayer has nothing religious about it. Simone Weil isn't saying that prayer is absolute unmixed attention. It's the other way around. The attention itself is the quality that she calls prayer. So whatever context you're putting it in, that's the quality that is the sacred one, where there's nothing else in the world. A mathematician working on a problem or a little kid trying to pick out scales on the piano is a person of prayer. We can pray in stillness or speak our prayers, walk our prayers, dance our prayers, sing our prayers. We can pray alone or together. Prayer is about everyday life and about showing up for our lives. Stephen Mitchell speaks of being attracted to praying with a Hasidic community in Brooklyn. He says, what attracted me was the fervor and the wholeheartedness of the experience. It was a social experience, too, which was quite wonderful. And later, when I began to experience the texts of Hinduism, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Upanishads, my whole sense of God blew to smithereens. There was something much vaster than what I had thought I was praying to. In this larger sense of prayer, there don't have to be words. It can be just that everything we do from moment to moment is an expression of our gratitude. And we're just expressing life as it comes with such clarity, with such open arms, that there's nothing left but prayer. Beloved spiritual companions, Prayer changes people, and people change things. Step by step, prayer steadies our minds and fills our spiritual reserve, moving us away from the abyss of despair. May we be instruments of transformation and healing, both for ourselves and for others. May our last resort also be our first resort. May we be wholehearted. May we open our arms to life. Let us pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.